I've heard people often express to me in their life of faith that, Father, why isn't God just more clear on what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live my life? Because if he was, then I would just follow it. And I've expressed the same thing. Well, today, Jesus tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. Do we do it? I don't. So why is it such a struggle for us, even when it's clearly laid out, not just these principles, these ideas, these expressions of love that Jesus talks about in the way that we live the Christian life, but when he gives it almost like a recipe of how we deal with conflict in the Christian community, we still aren't really doing it. For me, it's a little bit like grandma's recipe. That even though I have all the ingredients and I have all the proportions of all the ingredients that are supposed to go into that dish, for some reason I just can't quite make it like grandma. Because there's something about the way that it's prepared and the way that it's done that changes it just a little bit, even if you have the whole recipe. There's something behind the recipe that makes it what it is. And it's the same thing with this recipe that Jesus gives us today of how to reconcile in conflict in the Christian community. There's something that underlies it that is important in order for it to really have effect and to take root. Because every one of us has a temptation when it comes to conflict to do one of two things, towards violence or silence. And I stole that from somebody else. Violence or silence. Violence where we want to ensure justice is done now. That the, the wrong is corrected right away. Or the temptation towards silence where we don't want to enter into conflict and so we say nothing but we walk away and hold on to that resentment because the conflict isn't gone. Jesus is saying neither of these are helpful. We have to actually address the conflict. And he gives us the recipe. First, take the person aside, away from the public, away from the possibility of being publicly shamed for the wrong that they've done, and tell them, great. If they listen, you've regained your brother or sister. If they don't, then go get one or two other witnesses so that it comes off not just, this is my opinion of what you're doing wrong, but no, I'm not the only one. There are others that can see that there's something wrong in the way that you're thinking or speaking or acting. And then if they still don't listen to the two or three witnesses, then you bring them to the Christian community. You say, listen, this is not okay. This is not good. It needs to change. And then if they don't listen to the Christian community, then we treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. And for the Jews, what happened to the Gentiles and the tax collectors? They were ostracized from the community. But then we remember the way Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. And we see that there's something more that we need to do. So what underlies this recipe for reconciliation, I think, falls in two categories. One is the corrector, the one who is doing the correction, and the other is the corrected, the one who is receiving the correction. 
So with the corrector, here's the challenge that's given to us by Jesus. Are you willing to take on the sin of the person that you are correcting? Because often what we do when someone needs correction, and we're willing to engage in that and not tempt to silence, what we do is we say, you need to change that. That needs to stop. You need to do better. And we throw it back in their face. That we make them, that we want to make them face justice for the wrong that they've done. And we leave it to them. But what are we trying to do for them by showing them the wrong that they've done? We're trying to bring them freedom. Freedom from their sin and the freedom that brings them eternal life. That's the goal. Not just to get them to see what they do wrong, but we're trying to help them gain freedom from that sin that's in their life so that they can enjoy the freedom of eternal life promised by God. And how do we receive that? The cross. Jesus wins for us freedom from sin and death by the cross. And how did he do that? By taking on our sin to himself. And so if we are going to hope to do the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to be willing to do likewise. Am I willing to take on their sin? Meaning, to treat the Gentile and tax collector the way that Jesus does. Which is being willing to take the time to sit down with them, have a meal with the one that we disagree with, that we see the wrong is being done, and help them to be evangelized, help them to find what's missing to bring them to repentance and the patience that that takes. Because the end goal is not correcting them for the sake of them conforming to my way of seeing the world or my way of what I think is right, because I might be partially wrong too, but it's to bring them to freedom from their sin, which is always found in Christ. So am I willing to take on the suffering of their sin? Meaning, am I willing to submit to the wrong that they've done me, either by word or thought or action? Am I willing to bear that patiently for the sake of them being freed from that sin in their life? Only then can we authentically strive to really correct a brother or sister. Otherwise, it's just about us. And the second part is the corrected, the one who's being corrected for the wrong they've done. And the question we can ask ourselves is, am I willing to be corrected? Because generally speaking, we're not very good at letting ourselves be corrected. And again, our temptation is towards violence or silence. So when we're being corrected by somebody, the temptation towards violence is to immediately become defensive, to give reasons and excuses as to why they're wrong in their correction. Or the other side is silence, which is to just let them correct us in whatever they, way they want and not say anything, and then walk away bearing resentment towards them for having attempted to correct us. How dare they? Are we willing to be humble enough to be corrected, even by the person that we struggle to love, 
even when maybe even 99% of what they're saying is wrong, are we willing to let the 1% that is true be a gift to us? Or do we just write them off? Because I don't really respect what they have to say. I don't like the way that they're saying it. And we just leave it. Because if we are the ones being corrected, this has the potential of being a gift in our growth, in holiness, of our own freedom from sin that keeps us from enjoying the fruits of our Christian life. The biggest scandal of our Christian faith is our disunity as Christians, is our unresolved conflict. How many of you have heard before from fallen away Catholics or from non-Christians Ah, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You preach love and forgiveness and you don't even do it into your own communities. We need to be willing to engage in that. It's what Jesus prayed for at the Last Supper, that they may be one as we are one, Father. But the only way to overcome that is to actually face the conflict, seek resolution. Because your little thought experiment or you want to take it to prayer, every person that is here today, do I genuinely want to be standing next to them before God? Do I genuinely want them to be with me and with God in heaven? Could I really say that every person in our community here, I want to be with for eternity?